Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Colossians uh, chapter 3. We're going to look at five verses starting at verse 12. We're actually going to be in a lot of different places this morning. Uh, the next two weeks, we're going to look at the topic of Thanksgiving. Uh, we don't do this very often, but uh, we're going to do our start our Galatians study after the first of the year. So we're going to do two Thanksgiving sermons, and then we're going to do four, uh, spend four sermons in the Gospel of Luke and look at the Christmas story. And then we'll start in the book of Galatians in, in January. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we consider the state of our heart, the disposition of our heart, and consider whether thankfulness lies there or a bitterness, a feeling of lack is there. Lord, I pray you would help us discern. God, I pray that you would help us be so see Christ that we would overflow with thanksgiving to you. Uh, Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember sitting in, the, in my grandparents' living room when I was about 10 years old, Christmas morning. Uh, every Christmas, we had the same tradition. My grandma had this little tree, and all my cousins were there, and we had presents stacked up to where you could only see half the tree. I mean, that's how high was stacked up, and they flowed way out into the room. We got like five families there in my grandparents' little house. We're all packed in. We just ate my grandma's uh, famous little fruit cups we would eat Christmas morning. And the way we would open presents on my mom's side of the family is we would open them one at a time. This huge pile. So... One person would grab a present and hand it out, and that person would open, we'd all look at it, and then we would go to the next one. So this was a few, it would take a couple hours to open gifts, but it got to last so long, and I kind of liked it. But I, I'll never forget this one Christmas, 
where right away I got like a shirt or something. And as a 10-year-old, you get a shirt and it's like, yay, I got a shirt. Thank you so much. And, and I watched my, everyone else opening presents and my cousins opening presents. And, and then I watched my little brother open this scooter. And in those days, scooters were like the new hot thing, this red scooter. And I was so jealous as I saw him open it. And more presents started getting passed out. And this pile is beginning to dwindle down. And I'm looking at the size of my brother's scooter, and I'm looking at the pile under the tree, and I'm thinking about my shirt that I got, and I begin to pout. I begin to have anger start to build as I consider how my parents have thrusted all their love on my brother and have seemed to forgotten me, and, but I thought, surely buried under this small pile, there's a scooter waiting for me. Well, we get down, and literally, there's a couple presents left, and now, I'm trying to make eye contact with my mom, like, I am so angry with you right now. This Christmas is like the worst Christmas ever, and then right about that moment, my granddad walks out of the kitchen with a red scooter and walks over and gives it to me. And that feeling I felt when he did that, this moment that's supposed to be pure joy and thankfulness for this gift, I felt the most shame, so much so I can just go back to the moment of this gift, in a sense, is ruined by the exposure of the ugliness of my heart's disposition. Somehow, on Christmas morning, when gifts are being given, not entitlements are being claimed, gifts are being given, I turned Christmas morning into a demand, into what I deserve and what I'm entitled to. And that's a little microcosm of what you and I can do so quickly and not even realize it. What was happening in my heart is gifts were turned into wages what was free gift from my parents turned into, you owe this to me. You've maybe all experienced this in some way or another. Maybe you worked for an employer and you agreed to a certain wage and bonus time was coming. And last year you got this type of bonus and that gift that was given to you the year before could so easily turn into a demand where even if you're given a gift, if it's not what you thought, disappointment can reside in our hearts. As we approach 
Thanksgiving this week, I bet all of us tend to have a superficial, nostalgic view of Thanksgiving. You know, maybe at your Thanksgiving meal, before you eat the meal, you got all this good food, maybe you all stop and have everyone go around the table and say something you're thankful for before you eat. If you do that, praise God. That is a wonderful thing to do. But just because you can think of something to be thankful for when you come around, that really doesn't say anything about the disposition of our hearts. So what I want to do is I want, in a sense, little fluffy, nostalgic idea of thanksgiving. I kind of want to push that aside this morning and let the weightiness, the importance of having a heart disposition of thanksgiving to God how important that is. I want, I want that to settle in on you so that it's not just something you think about this week. And in a sense, I want to help you discover what's happening inside our hearts and why it's happening. So the main thing I want from this sermon is that you would overflow with thanksgiving to God and in doing that, God would be glorified. And so the first point is this. Recognize idolatry in your unthankfulness. Anytime you sense an unthankfulness in your heart, I'm going to argue Scripture says idolatry is the problem. So picture this. If you want to fight an enemy, you need to know the location of the enemy. If you want to fight effectively, you need to know what your enemy is attempting to do. A lot of times we might sense, as I did at 10 years old, unthankfulness in my heart. But how do I tack that ugly enemy inside? Well, one of the things I need to realize is that unthankfulness is like a symptom to a greater disease. And that disease is sin, and specifically the sin of idolatry. Let me show you this in Romans chapter 1. Starting in verse 21. For although they knew God. So Paul has just argued that everyone in all creation, because of the things created and because of the glory in creation, everyone perceives God. Everybody does. To deny it is to suppress what is so naturally perceived. And he says, he says this, for although they knew God, the Bible says everybody knows God. Some people suppress it, but everyone knows Him. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. 
but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So now here's the root of sin. If someone asked me what sin is, this is what I'd read to them. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. That's idolatry. Your creator creates you and everything else, and you look at your creator, and you stiff-arm him, and you say, I'm going to worship something down here created. Now, here's the key to this text, though. So they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and creeping things. Now, it's interesting. Verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. At the root of our sin as creatures is we forget we are creatures and therefore we dishonor him by not thanking him. In our idolatry, we view God as we don't need him. We can push him aside. We don't need to be thankful for him. Notice, idolatry dishonors God. Not to be thankful is to dishonor God. If you think back to Adam and Eve, God told them they could eat from every tree in the garden, but the one tree that was in the midst of the garden they could not eat of. To eat of that tree would disregard what God said would be good for them. He said, you'll surely die. So as Adam and Eve ate fruit from that tree, here's what they, here's what they were thinking. God is holding out on me. God wanted good for me in all these other trees, but he's really holding out on me. The best tree to eat from is this one. See, that was Satan's temptation to doubt that God was really for them. So as they ate of that fruit, essentially they said, we're going to bypass God and we're going to go try and be fulfilled somewhere else. It's a thanklessness to all this goodness. Think of it. Adam and Eve were lacking nothing. They had perfect relationship with God. There was no sin. There was no death. They were in a garden. But a tempter came in and said, you're lacking something. And a sense of unthankfulness came into their hearts as they sought out more pleasure outside of God. So, when we think about our, when you sense uh, unthankfulness in your heart, I want you to think, not little problem, I want you to think idolatry. What is going wrong at at the very root in my heart? Thanksgiving is in contrast to covetousness. Uh, In Ephesians 5, 
if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to just help you understand better what Thanksgiving is. We, it's good to look at what it's contrasted with. In Ephesians 5, starting in verse 2, here's what Paul says. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave up, gave himself up for us for a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality in all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. So he's telling them, walk in love because God gave himself to you. God gave you a gift. Walk in love. But he says, don't walk in this way. Don't walk in sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness as is improper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. And then he says this odd thing. He says, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So how does Paul view, don't be sexually immoral, don't be filthy, don't talk dirty, but rather... Be thankful. How does he see these two? Like you think he would say, be pure. But he says, be thankful. Well, at the heart of sexual immorality and impurity is a desire. It's a covetous desire to get something more that you're missing. You see, when someone is sexually immoral, they're not satisfied in God, but rather they're saying there's more satisfaction to be had. And so it's covetousness. The opposite of thanksgiving, recognizing all this that you have and being satisfied in God is covetousness. And so you can kind of see they're at op- there are opposites of each other. And then in verse 17, you kind of see him do this again. He says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, what is the will of the Lord? Look, listen to what he says. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauch- debauchery. Well, that's not a word we use very often. What does debauchery mean? It means excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures. Do the will of God. Don't get drunk, for that is this lusting, this covetousness after, after something that you're unfulfilled for. Do not get drunk with wine. That is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Now, you see that? One is a person viewing their life as empty, and so I need to get drunk, to fulfill this pleasure, but rather be filled. You see, to overflow, you have to be full. But be filled with the Spirit, is what he says, addressing one another. When a person is filled up, they're trusting in Christ, they have the Spirit of God, they're seeing clearly, they're overflowing with this addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, 
singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God. So think of this. Giving thanks always and for everything to God in the name of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So you see, the opposite of thanksgiving is a sense of lacking. I lacked a scooter. And that produced this ugliness. I was lacking something I had to have. But Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And thanksgiving will exude out from you. Now, these aren't simple things. You have to think. Our lives are complicated. Why we do what we do is complicated. And very few people ever try to get down to the root of what's going on in here when all these ugly symptoms start coming out. You know, you've all known thankful people. And they're not thankful because their lives have been easy. Because all their circumstances just worked right. Rather, it was something deep down inside the heart that just is the difference between the person who's always getting ripped off and the person who is exuding, overflowing with thanksgiving. So how do you put to death the idolatrous disposition of unthankfulness? Here's what I want to argue. You fight this idolatrous disposition of the heart by recognizing that you are needy and God is not. You are always the getter, and he is always the giver. You always receive, and he always gives. If there's a moment where you give, and you make God a debtor, then none of this is true. But I'm arguing the Bible says God doesn't need us. We need him. And if you want to fight unthankfulness... You need to discover this lie that Satan tells us when he starts to make you feel you deserve this. Somehow you made God a debtor. That's how you get upset with God. When he's in a position where we've put him in a place where he owes us. Let me show you this. Uh, Turn to Psalm 50. We'll just kind of go through this quickly. In Psalm 50, the first six verses puts God on display in this, in all of his majesty. Psalm 50, starting verse 1. And I just want you to use your imaginations. Biblical writers wrote in a way that we can see pictures. They're meant to move our hearts. The mighty one the mighty one, the God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silent. Before him is devouring fire. 
So picture it. From morning to evening, the perfection of beauty, God comes forth with devouring fire in front of him is the picture. And around him, a mighty F5 tornado. Tempest, whirling storm is what it means. I'm a storm chaser. I picture an F5 tornado. So God... The mighty one, the only one that's mighty like this, coming forth, fire in front of him, around him, F5 tornado. This God, he calls to the heavens and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. And then the psalm turns. So, in a sense, the psalmist says, Here's God. Now, let me tell you the big mistake of my people, Israel. Here's the mistake they made Hear, O my people. And I will speak, O Israel, and I'll testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. He's saying you're so religious. You continue to bring sacrifices. He says, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the fields is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Now, God's told them to make sacrifices. So why is he saying why are you sacrificing to me? It's because they're sacrificing to him as if God needs them. It's a heart where they're viewing themselves as the giver. He's saying, this is your mistake. I don't need you. All of it's mine. You go get a goat and you sacrifice it. You took my goat. I own all of it. And then he says, verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. So here's contrast. Here's what you've been doing. It's been driving me crazy, all these sacrifices where you think you're giving to me. Rather, verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Look at this. And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I'll deliver you, and you shall glorify me. You want to know what glorifies God? People who know they're needy. People who in the day of trouble don't pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and in their own wisdom figure out how to do it, but rather... It's the people who call on the name of the Lord. And when they do that, God says, that glorifies me. All this man-made works thinking they're earning their place with God does not glorify God. 
It's the one who views themselves as the receiver of grace and the needer of their creator. Creatures always need the creator. We can never flip-flop that. That's at the heart of sin. And then he says, your sacrifices are hypocritical. You hate discipline. You cast my words behind you. You approve thievery (coughs) and adultery. You speak evil. And then in verse 21, he says this, these things you have done. He kind of zooms in the clarity to help them understand what's going on in their hearts. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought I was like yourself. That was their problem. You see, they didn't see the God of all beauty with devouring fire and majesty, the mighty one with the F5 tornado around him. They thought they could feed God. They thought he was, they were like God. That's their problem. You thought I was like one of yourselves. The angels had to be roaring at that. As they look at us thinking God is like, like us. And then he says this, but now I rebuke you and lay this charge before you. Mark this, then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. Verse 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice, still bring your goat, but he who offers thanksgiving as your sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. So I'm arguing the way you fight unthankfulness in your heart is you recognize who God is and you recognize who you are. And the reason why it never makes sense for us to ever be unthankful to God is because we can't even think apart from God. We can't even get our next breath apart from God. The most reasonable thing in the world is that we're thankful always to God, our Creator. Um, Point two. Man, I hate when point one takes us to 28 minutes. (laughs) Point two. We'll go real quick here. Remember a thankful heart glorifies God. Thanksgiving isn't just a cute thing we do, but if you want your life to have purpose, you need to have a thankful heart because you're created to glorify Him and it's impossible to glorify God without a thankful heart. It's a miracle of the new birth. When a person is saved, they miraculously have the ability to be thankful in a way they never were before, even in the midst of tragedy. There's a perspective that's supernaturally gained. So remember that a thankful heart glorifies God. I'm going to show you this real quick. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. Just listen. Now the Spirit expressly says... 
that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So he's talked, Paul's talking to Timothy. He says there's going to be false teachers coming. And he says here's what they're going to do. Through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are sealed, they'll forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. It is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Here's what I want you to see. Paul says there's going to be false teachers that come, and they're going to say, here's how you glorify God. You abstain from marriage. You be celibate. And you only eat certain foods, and God's going to be pleased with that. Paul says, that's not true. What glorifies God is when you eat any food that God gave. Everything God gave is good, and it remains good when you receive it with thanksgiving. Now, whenever I've quoted this, or a lot of times people will come up to me, people who argue for the goodness of marijuana love this verse. Everything is good as long as it's received with thanksgiving. That's if they have a superficial view of thanksgiving. Remember, thanksgiving is the opposite of debauchery, debauchery, lust and craving. So the person who is not satisfied with God and needing a joint to be satisfied is not receiving marijuana with thanksgiving. In fact, they're saying, forget you, God. This is going to replace you. But a life that glorifies God, here's why I showed you this text. I'm arguing the only way you can glorify God is to always be thankful in everything. Good circumstances, bad circumstances, it's at the root. So, eating pork, is that more of a sin than eating beef? The argument is, if this one is eaten, recognizing thankfulness to God, praise God, glory. If pork is eaten because a person is saying, I need to eat to be happy, pork now becomes the thing that defects, and glory is no longer gotten from, from your life. Anything can be good, and anything can be idolatrous. It's the disposition of your heart that's the difference. Let me show you another text. Romans 14, 5. Here's what Paul says. There's an argument in the church. Some people think certain days are holy. Other people think other days are holy. Some people think this food's holy. Here's what he says. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. Here's what Paul's like, quit arguing about, can I eat this food or this food? If you don't eat and you do it out of thankfulness to God, God gets glory. 
If you eat and you do it, you see how it's the disposition, the heart, and not the legalistic rule that God cares about? The right way to walk is to walk in thanksgiving. Colossians 2.6 Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, who's the giver there? God's the giver. Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. If you were given a gift, walk in Him. Well, what does that look like? Rooted and built up. See this? This is the cup filling. Rooted in Christ, built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, (coughs) abounding in thanksgiving. God gave you Jesus. Be rooted and so filled up in the fullness of Christ that you abound with thanksgiving to those around you. That's how we walk. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When God gave you Christ Jesus, his will is that it would make you thankful in all circumstances. You might say, well, how can you be thankful in the, on the worst day of your life when you get the worst news you could ever get about a family member? Listen to Isaiah 51.3. Here's this paradox. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places. There's waste places in our lives. And makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of a song. Here's how it works. On your worst day of your life, when God comes along and upholds you when you cannot make it through, And he's there in the waste places. Even on that day, in a way that no one else can understand, thanksgiving. That that might be the greatest day of thanksgiving in that person's life. And the world cannot understand it. But if God walks through the valley of the shadow of death with his people, then it may be your sweetest moment of being held up to be thankful in all circumstances. You know, Philippians 4, 4, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Isn't that funny? You go tell someone to rejoice always and see how reasonable that sounds. That doesn't sound very reasonable. Paul says rejoice always. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. And then here's his argument. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The reason why it's reasonable is because God is at hand. The most unreasonable thing in the world for Christians to do is to not rejoice always as if God has left us and forgotten us. It's reasonable 
Now, we don't pretend like life is easy. But what's reasonable is to believe God's word when he says he walks with us through these waste places. Final point. Release infectious thanksgivings to others for God's glory. My prayer is you so see Christ and God's provision for you in him that you're overflowing with thanksgiving and that becomes infectious to the person next to you and that person begins to do what they were created for, which is be thankful to God. Let me show you a couple texts. 2 Corinthians 4.15, for it is all for your sake. Paul's saying, I'm suffering. They're, they're basically, I'm being put to death. He says, it's all for your sake so that grace extends to more and more people are so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. If you ask Paul, why do you suffer from town to town to preach a foolish message that God sent a son uh, to die on the cross for, for sinners and that he was raised again and that whoever trusts in him by faith and not by works, this is a foolish message to the world. Everywhere he goes, he gets beat up. But he says, the reason why I do it is because I share the message of grace. And if they understand the message of grace, it's going to abound in more thanksgiving to God for his glory. I just want you to feel this. You see when we defect from good gospel thinking and we turn into complainers and God owed me this and if God loved me, he wouldn't do this. And, you know, you, we've all heard someone say the statement, what has God ever done for me? It's the most foolish statement anyone could ever make. We've, we've all had the disposition of the heart like that. But what do you think infectiously is going to be caught with that? No glory to God. No one's going to see the grace of God in the midst of whatever struggle you're in. So what I'm saying is thanksgiving is absolutely not only necessary, crucial in us fulfilling what God's called us to do. To, to have this heart of thanksgiving. Um, I'm out of time, so I'm going to give you two texts to look at. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. Amazing text. You'll see this displayed. And 1 Corinthians 14, verses 15 and 16. Here's how I want to conclude. So let's say we ask the question, so what has God ever done for me? Let's conclude with this. We're getting down to brass tacks here. Here's what God has done for us. We were created in His image to glorify Him by living according to His provisions in His Word. We were created to rely on Him for everything, to hang on His every word and guidance for us. 
But here's the facts according to the Bible. We have sinned by rejecting his word and treating him as though we didn't need him. We've become idolaters at heart. And God said to Adam and Eve, you'll surely die if you do that. Death entered the human race through sin. Through Adam and Eve's sin, it was passed on to every one of their children. Here's what God owes us. Death. Eternal death. At the end of the day, if you're not dying or you're not dead, grace is coming to you. We complain when we get sick. What about the fact that you're alive and that most of your life you're not sick? The facts are we deserve death because of our sins, but I'm just going to be real simple this morning. (laughs) Isaiah sums it up in this. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for what account is he? Isaiah says, you want to know what a man is? He's only as good as the last thing he's been given, and the last thing he's been given is a breath. Stop accounting man. He takes one breath and he looks to God and he needs the next breath. Don't account him. That's who we are. And here's the verse you've all heard, but I hope you feel it a little different this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave. God is a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you'll trust in Christ by faith, what does that mean? That doesn't mean just believe he exists. That means that you believe what he said about his own life. He described his life's purpose as going to a cross to be a substitution, a substitutionary payment in your stead for your sins so that God can bring you into his presence. God could not do that apart from a perfect sacrifice and Jesus lived the life you couldn't live. For God so loved you. Now think of this. What did my mom and dad ever do for me? Did I need the red scooter? And they did so much for me. God took the most valuable thing he had, his only son, and he sent him into the world to die for us so that death wouldn't be the final of our story, but life would be. Because of that truth, we ought to be thankful in all circumstances because even our present suffering is working together a greater eternal glory. You just cannot fathom. So I'm going to use the words of Paul here, 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Father, we can't put to words enough how we ought to be thankful to you for everything in our lives, good or bad. We know that even the bad works together for good for those who love you. This gift of Christ is beyond measure. So we praise you and we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.